Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Welcome to the Safety Doc Show. I have a special guest with me today, David Hyde, and... David Hyde is a man who is blind or a blind man. I know we talk about vernacular and wanting to use correct terminology. Dave, uh, how would you like me to to refer to you? I'm a blind man. I've been been one all my life. Uh, I'm an older fellow, (laughs) so that means that uh, I haven't quite caught the political correctness yet. And I'm never sure whether we try too hard to make things correct until I think we refer to teachers as people who are teachers and doctors as people who are doctors, we shouldn't have to refer to people with disabilities or uh, that way either. So it's either right all one way or, or wrong all one way. And I'm glad that you shared that because it, it gets to be um, confusing and I think people want to use people first language, but uh, at times it can get... Uh, it's clumsy. It, it can get to be clumsy. So, um, and, and we just uh, refer to you as, uh, as the wise gentleman of the building uh, right here at uh, the Wisconsin Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And everybody knows, of course, we're talking about David Hyde. Um, well, now <laughs> there went my reputation. We'll fit, we'll fix that this afternoon. So, David, if you could tell us about yourself, uh, and, and when you frame that, I, I believe there's an interesting story. When you were a child, um, was it your mom took a, a sock, stuffed it with other socks or whatever, and that became the equivalent of a softball and said, mm-hmm. go out and, and, and have fun. And, but if you could just tell us about, about yourself. First of all, I've been lucky. I had a mother who knew absolutely nothing about blindness, which means she didn't have anything to unlearn. And now this was the 1950s, and there were a lot of us who were uh, blind in the 1950s because of uh, what was then called retrolental fibroplasia. Try writing that 50 times on the blackboard. Uh, they, people couldn't spell it, so they changed the name in the 1980s. Now it's retinopathy of prematurity. What it means is that you had too much oxygen in the incubator for premature children, and uh, so that burned out or caused star tissue to form on the retinas. That meant that I had light and dark perception until I was about 12, and then I lost that then. Mom didn't have anything to unlearn, and she was foolish enough to expect me to do anything that sighted kids could do. And not knowing any better, I was foolish enough to make that happen. So when I learned to uh, roller skate, I learned to roller skate down hills. And I found that it was great fun until you forgot where the railing to the stairs was. (laughs) then you had a dramatic stop, but you remembered it next time. I had, uh, I went to a school for the blind in the state of Oregon, and at that school I got to learn all kinds of things, some of the things that uh, they wished I hadn't learned, like roller skating down a hill was great fun, and it was even more fun when you could dodge people as you were skating. Oh. That was great fun when we had tour groups go through. So I always challenged what people thought blind blind people could do, and um, over the last 50 years or so, I've done, I think, very well. I'm, I'm successful in what I do, I'm happy with my life, and I just, uh, I enjoy now passing what I've learned along to the next generation. So David, what is your role um, here at uh, WCBVI and then also uh, with the National Federation for the Blind? Well, here at the Wisconsin Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired, I do a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm lucky that way. My 
the job is called professional development coordinator. And when I got that job, it was a brand new job, and I said, okay, good, what do I do? And my boss said, I'm not sure, but you'll figure it out. And I did. I found that I was doing, putting together classes for teachers around the state. I was doing classes for orientation and mobility professionals around the state. I was working with parents. I was working with uh, organizations. And so I, made, I was able to make that job my own. Uh, we had a change in staff, and I ended up being one of the two parent uh, liaisons in the state. And I said, what does that job do? And my boss said, I don't know. Uh, I think you're going to work with parents. And I said, good, we'll develop some programs to work with parents. And we have, and we do meetings around the state with parents of blind kids, and we get them together with other parents and let them share information, because after all, we can't be the expert in everything. And uh, the best communication is what they do amongst themselves. Uh, we have an adult program here during the summer, and when the former director left, he said, guess what, you're going to be doing it. And I said, good, Dan, what does that mean? <laughs> he said, I don't know, but here you go. So I've, I've been very lucky in that I've been able over the years to take on jobs and develop them and make them work for me and make them, uh, make them jobs that, uh, that make a difference. In the National Federation of the Blind, that is a nationwide organization of blind people, and I've been a member and an active member for a little over 40 years. And in that time, I've served as the state affiliate president in the state of Oregon. I've served on the national board of directors. I've served on most of the national committees. I serve as a first vice president, our affiliate in Wisconsin. And I've been able to watch the organization build and change over the years. Uh, when I joined in the 70s, I was a young guy, I was in my 20s, and it was a very radical, demonstrating organization. If you had a problem, you went out and picketed. Of course, everybody did in the 70s. Um, and I've watched it change, I've watched it grow, and I've watched uh, a new generation take over with new ideas and new way of doing things. And I'm now sort of a kind of an elder statesman person who can give history and do some guidance to our younger members, but realize that they're in the process now of taking over, and that's a good thing. Um, so what, uh, what we're talking about today, I guess, has to do with uh, has to do with what safety and uh, safety. Yep. So okay. our, our show centers on safety, and and I wanted to have you share some of your experiences of uh, a blind man. What what safety means to you? Uh, okay. The I guess the first thing I'd say as you think about safety and people with disabilities, and particularly people who are blind, is that you don't want to overcomplicate. Uh, let me give you an example. I once worked at a library for the blind in the state of Oregon. Now, I knew all the people there. I'd spent a lot of time in that library, and I'd been a patron of theirs for 30 years when I started to work for them. And we had a fire drill. And I said, okay, good. We have a fire drill, that means you go outside, you take the nearest exit, and the director of safety says, oh, no, you can't do that. Just, what do you mean I can't do that? I said, I've done it for years. No, no, you're, you don't understand. You're blind. So what you're supposed to do is, if in case of a fire, we want you to wait in the stairwell. And when we get everybody else out, we'll come and get you. And I said, no, you don't. Right. Because if there's a panic in this place, I want to be in front of it. And I want to get out, and that means that I will do what I know I can do, and that is head for the nearest exit. And if that's on the loading dock, I know where the loading dock is, I know where the edge is, I can get out there and just fine, no problem, don't overcomplicate it. I spent a couple of years working in a prison for, uh, for adults. I got my bachelor's in psychology, I took master's work in correctional administration, so I was doing some counseling work at a, a medium security adult prison. 
Okay, yeah, I know when I, I researched it, I, I found you, you were in prison for a few years, and I thought, I need to change the questions. But then I did a little more research, and, and that's what I uncovered. Yeah, I, I was getting paid, and I could go <laughs> home every night. Uh, me and my guide dog, I had a black lab guide dog. Okay. And uh, guide dogs are marvelous things in prisons. Guys just love them. Uh, uh, she'd, uh, they, you never missed my call outs because they'd want to come and talk to the dog. That was fine. But one of the things we had to do there, again, is practice fire drills. Now, prisons are not the easiest things to exit by design. And so our fire escape there from the education wing was this. There was a ladder that you climbed to get to the top of a radiator. And then you went up over the radiator, out a window, and down the fire escape. Wow. Um, it would not have come anywhere near passing uh, accessibility standards. Of course, those were new then, too. So the way you got out for a fire drill was, first of all, you bench-pressed the guide dog out the window. Okay. Then you climbed the ladder, then you went out the window, and the guide dog was very happy to go down the fire escape just wiggling at both ends. Says, Why, <laughs> this is fun. Uh, so, but there's always a way to simplify things. I can remember being in a fire drill in, well, they thought fire alarms went off. I was at the Capitol Holiday Inn in D.C., which is about 10 stories. And uh, about 12 o'clock at night, the fire alarm went out. And back then, if the fire alarm went off, you went out. You didn't get somebody on the PA says, don't worry about it, it's just, just something, just an accident. So we all left. Now what we do in the NFB at a national convention, and this was at a uh, NFB event in DC, uh, we tend to make talking signposts because uh, not everybody knows where everything is. So if you're, everybody's going to the general session, we're going to station people along the route until you, you're going the right way. So as you're walking okay. down the hallway, you hear general session this way, general session this way. I always got the job of getting people out of places. Why, I don't know. <laughs> um, and you do the same for the escalators. So naturally, a number of us who had done that before stationed ourselves uh, from the stairway on out to the exit and called people on out. And everybody, all the blind people got out of the hotel just fine. Uh, we didn't, uh, you know, it's just nobody said let's sure. plan this, we just did it. And that's pretty much how, you know, what you need as a blind person is a sound cue. And if you have uh, a siren going off, it ought to be a fairly loud sound cue because people are going to want to hear over the siren. Uh, and it's a I also find that when I go into a hotel, one of the things I want to do is know where the uh, fire exit is on my door. They recommend it on my floor. They recommend it for everybody. I'm not sure everybody does it, but uh, it's always good to know. And uh, that's one of the first things I look for after I locate the room. So, you know, being safe and being, being able to react to emergencies is a you know, it's a fairly simple thing. A person has to have the self-confidence, though, to do it. And not all of us are at the same level. So what I tell people about uh, if you see somebody and you think they want help, the first thing you want to do is ask them. I remember a story about a friend of mine in downtown Portland who was waiting for his wife beside an department store there. And somebody came up to him and he said, Oh, here, I'll help you across the street. He said, I don't want to cross the street. Yes, I'll help you just fine. And across he goes, being drug all the way. Wow. Then he turned around and recrossed the street, <laughs> waited for his wife. Here comes somebody else. Oh, you want to cross? No, I don't want to cross the street. Sure you do. And over he goes. Bottom line, ask. If somebody says, No, I'm fine, thank you, let them be fine, even if. You think they need help. Uh, if they want help, they can ask for it. But don't just start out assuming that people need help uh, just because you think that if you were blind, you wouldn't know what to do. Hey, and you bring up a good point because I, 
I think that's, uh, that's prevalent, whether it be blindness or, um, you know, somebody in a, you know, using a wheelchair. Uh, Dave, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time years ago you and I briefly had worked uh, together, mm -hmm. and I, I shared this story with you, which I'm not sure um, you were aware of it at the time, and I wasn't aware of, of the meaning of this mm -hmm. until a little bit later, but um, Dave and I had worked uh, briefly uh, together up, uh, in Portage. up in Portage, and the, the building we worked in um, did have a, a, a ramp area, but it had kind of a large set of steps, concrete steps that went up to, that were very wide, kind of a, a little bit atypical. Um, and the day that Dave started, I remember going to work and there were a number of pink flamingos like you see in yards and they were all positioned along the sides of the steps going up to the building. And I looked at it, thought it was either a prank or just that it was some kind of spoof with some event or somebody's birthday or whatever it might be. And I later learned that one of our employees had done that because the, the steps had a little bit of a steep drop-off on, on either side. And they did it because they knew you were starting that day and they wanted you to have a reference point as you went up to the building if you used the, the steps. And I didn't find out that until, until later uh, when, when that person had, had mentioned um, that. So as I share that to you, I mean, it, I could, it, it's somewhat... Um, David, I could top that. Okay. I, didn't, I never knew they were there until okay. now. So I, I, I don't generally go up the side of steps. and I, If I had found them with my cane, right. I would probably say, oh, there's obstacles there. Fine, I'll go a little bit further to the left. But, but I, no, I never heard about the pink flamingos. The only birds I was aware of there were the cranes living out on the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and we knew you would climb up the ladder to get in the fire escape to get into your office on yeah. third floor anyway, so yeah. we, you know, we didn't have to worry about that. But, but. Uh, no, I had not heard the Flamingo <laughs> stories, but I, I, I can guess who did that. <laughs> I think it's a you know it's an example of someone who you know wants to do what they perceive mm -hmm. is right. And there was and there was nothing. No, but it's nothing the, malicious. But it's about asking. It. It's yeah. it's a it's assuming instead of asking right. you or even mm -hmm. asking. We have we have Dave starting. Is there anything we can do that first day of maybe yeah. even meeting and just well, asking you questions mm -hmm. on how to orient? Is there sure. anything we can do to orient you to the building mm -hmm. better or whatever? No, that's that's a fine story. I'll have to retell <laughs> that one. Uh, but uh, I think people people really do. People want to do good things, and that's that's you know that's nice. Um, I people and what you do most of the time is you say, well if I if I close my eyes I can't do and you can make your list. What you're forgetting is that I've had more than sixty years of practice. And if I don't know how to do something, I know where to go to find out. Uh, now we don't always do the right things and we don't always do the smart things. I can remember uh, when I, about this time of year when I was coming home from work and I had, where I was living, there was a traffic light a mile one direction and a mile the other direction and nothing between and to get home I had to cross a highway that had four lanes and a turn lane. Wow. Uh, I was not willing to walk an extra two miles to get home. So I worked it out, Me, my guide dog and I, we'd cross two lanes, wait in the turn lane, wait for the next two lanes to open up and then go on across. Guide dogs are smart animals. And once in a while, the person using them should remember that. Because I was anxious to get home, I crossed the two lanes, I was waiting in the turn lane, and I told the dog to go forward and she sat there. And I said, forward. The dog stayed there. The damn it, I want to go home. Take the leash. Forward. The dog went forward. I did find out that the commercials were correct. 
And at that time, Mazdas did go, because mm, you couldn't hear the Mazda coming. Oh, my. And I got hit. My fault. The dog got up, walked to the edge of the road, sat down, said, okay, you got yourself in, get yourself out. Smart dog. Ah. Uh, and the point of that being that you don't always make the right decision. In that case, if you if a car is coming that you can't, you know they're not going to hear, the, our new electric cars are good examples of that. Then you might want to say, uh, you might, might want to say something. Honking your horn, by the way, gives no information at all. Okay. Because everybody has one. Right. Um, I had a friend who used to do that. He'd go by and honk his horn and wave, and I'd go uh, up to the restaurant we met at, and he, one day he said, are you mad at me? I said, no, I'm not mad. Why should I be? He said, well, I, I went by, I yelled, I honked my horn, I waved, and you just ignored me. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> sure do. Uh, but everybody, you know, there are people are, everybody reacts to blindness differently. I had a job, I've been lucky enough to always be able to get a job. It wasn't always the job I wanted, but I always was able to get one. And I had a, my contract ran out with corrections and I ended up selling insurance door to door. Now if you ever want to learn how to take rejection, that's the job to have, let me tell you. Okay. It was great. I got more doors slammed in my face than you can believe. Blindness didn't make any difference. I was a salesman and they wanted rid of me. I think the best, the best way though of getting rid of me as a salesman I was working in a little town called Woodburn, Oregon. Woodburn, Oregon is about half Mexican-American and half Russian old believers. And uh, you never know when you go to a door whether you're going to say, Buenos dias, senora, or do pronto, gaspaja. And uh, so I went to this house, knocked on the front door, nothing, not a sound, nothing in the house. But there's all these people behind the house. I says, well, heck, it must be a party or something. I'll go back there. And I walk back there, and this lady says, can I help you? I said, yes, Gus I'm Dave Hyde. I'm with this insurance company. I'd like to talk to you about your coverage. He says, tell, tell you what you do. You talk to Grandpa. Grandpa, buy, we all buy. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. There must be 75 people there, man. Oh, boy. So I sat down at the table with Grandpa, and I talked to him about the policy. It's a canned presentation. I only did it 50 times a day. And uh, so I get down to the end, and I went, went to the close. When you close, that's when you ask them to buy. And after you close, the first one who talks loses. You talk to salesmen, I'll tell you what, if you, if you say something first, they know that they may have you. If they say something first, they've lost the sale. So I close and I'm waiting. I've got the pen in my hand. And I'm looking at Grandpa and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And there's this little girl comes up and says, Mister, do you know Grandpa? No, I just met him. He seems like a very nice guy. Mister, Grandpa's dead. This is his funeral. Oh. They got the blind guy good. I never laughed so hard. And everybody has that story, I think. Uh, and if it didn't happen to me, I wish it had. I actually took it from one of my... Uh, co-salespeople. Yeah. But it is just such a great story. How do you get an ins get rid of insurance salesmen? <laughs> Why, you make sure they talk to the dead guy. <laughs> uh, having said all that, uh, as far as safety, uh, I did a lot of things there in that particular job that made me feel uh, safe and comfortable in what I was doing. Because you never know this was the 70s. Right. It was a lot easier time. 
I don't think I do the job now. But I did a number of things. First of all, I hired a couple of drivers. And I did because some places you got from farm to farm to farm. And if I was working in a city, I wanted to walk from place to place, but I also wanted to get a good map of the city and how things, uh, how things were laid out. So I would have a driver drive me through and I'd write down street names, uh, which, which streets crossed which ones, which one turned into T intersections and what turned into Y intersections. And uh, so I had a good feel for exactly where I was. Uh, I made sure that I had some landmarks and some places that I would meet people because if I did get truly lost, I wanted to have ways to get unlost. So I always had a landmark or two to, uh, uh, to, to come back to. Uh, I made sure that I, uh, I made, made sure that I knew most of the people who I was talking to. So I talked to them, I talked to their neighbors and so on. I found out a couple of things about me then. Uh, one, if you look like you know what you're doing, people assume that you do. And a sure. lot of times sure. they'll leave you alone. That comes out of you know, being aware of what's around you. Uh, you know, walk, walk, uh, walk with some confidence. Uh, you know, look, look around you, even if you can't see, look around you. Uh, and make sure that you make them believe you have confidence in what you're doing, even when you don't. Okay. Um, I, I, I like that. Uh, so, Dave, let's... I want to go back. You had mentioned um, that <laughs> your, your dog... Um, you know, stayed and you went out. It, mm -hmm. it, unfortunately, you were hit by the car. But as you mentioned, dog, one of the things at the Wisconsin School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, impaired which is absent from the school, um, would be, I guess, what some people refer to as seeing eye dogs. Um, it just is, it, there aren't any seeing eye dogs at the school. And, and from an outside perspective of, of, uh, you know, someone thinking about the school, I'm assuming a number of people would expect as they come into school, that's what they would find, or else they would find that there would be some level when students reached a certain, you know, amount of training that then they would be working with a quote-unquote seeing eye dog. But it's not the case. So, no. so why is that? Well, first of all, children are not the best dog handlers in the world. Now, children make pets out of dogs. It's natural. And so dog guide schools, guide dog schools, seeing eye dog schools, are very reluctant to give those animals to children. Uh, the youngest, well, I've seen one here from a uh, school in Canada. I think he got his at about 10 years old, and it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Uh, you have to keep up the training with a dog guide. And that means that you have to do obedience just about every day. You've got to work that dog every day. You've got to take that dog outside four, five, six times every day. doesn't matter what the weather is. You have to uh, give that dog time to work. You have to give that dog, dog time to play. It's not always a dog, a uh, guide dog, after you take the harness off. It's one of those four-legged things with a tail. And having had a lab as a guide dog, I'm very familiar with what that tail can do. Uh, so we don't train guide dogs here. Um, and we don't we teach people to use a cane. And there are a couple reasons for that. One, the better cane traveler you are, if you choose to become a dog guide user, then you will also be a better dog guide user because you have to know direction, you have to be able to walk at some speed, uh, you need to know where things are around you. 
The dog doesn't just know, hey, wait, he wants to go to Quick Trip. Okay, let's see. I know what I do. I go down Court Street. I take a, uh, take a right on uh, Crosby, and there it is. Yep, that's Quick Trip. I know. No, no way. You tell the dog to, when to cross the street. You tell the dog when to turn. You tell the dog when to stop. You tell the dog what to do. The dog is not in charge. The handler is. Now, the dog will keep you from being hit by a car, if you pay attention to it. It will take you around obstacles. It is a marvelous thing around Christmas because there's a follow command. You can point at somebody and say, follow. That dog will follow that salesperson dodging around people and racks and everything else. It's a marvelous wow, thing. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Get through stores and all those people are are talking obstacles. Uh, now, here's the downside. The dog is only as good as the handler. So if you don't keep that training up, if you don't work that dog on a regular basis, and if you don't uh, keep the dog in obedience, you're going to have problems. What that means is if I am in a hurry to get to an appointment and I'm headed down the sidewalk and the dog doesn't cross, the, doesn't stop at a curb, I can't just say, oh dear, dog missed the curb, I'll take care of it tomorrow. No, you stop, you turn around and you go back and you tell the dog forward. You go to the curb, the dog stops, you praise the dog, scratch the ears, turn around, go back, do it again, dog stops, scratch the ears, praise the dog. You've got to reinforce that behavior. If the dog is not working well at all, you better have a cane with you. Because I learned that if I did not get a dog that had a wagging tail and being very excited when that harness went on, it's going to be a real bad day. Uh, dog needs grooming. Nobody likes a smelly dog. Dog needs to eat. And of course when dogs eat, dogs leave things behind them and you have to clean that up too. So you, want to, you have a lot of responsibility uh, when you have a dog guide. They are great things. I love them. Uh, I have friends who use them. Uh, I decided that after mine died, I didn't want another one. Nobody cries when you break a cane. Uh, and uh, she was a real good girl, and I'm, uh, uh, I'll just uh, take, you know, take care of everybody else's. Sure, sure, that's um, understandable. Now, in, in California, where this airs, you have uh, the Guide Dogs for the Blind Incorporated in San Rafael. That has been around for a very long time. They put out a good product. You have Guide Dogs of the Desert. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where that is down there, but I have some friends who've gotten their animals from, from there. They do a very good job. And if you're interested in guide dogs, uh, I, would, uh, I would certainly contact those schools because they're the ones who know them better than me. Mine, uh, mine died about 30 years ago, and they've changed things since then, I'm sure. So that... That is why we don't have a uh, long way around. See, that's why we don't have guide dogs here at the school. Um, you can get them trained. You know, you can go to a school to get trained with them. They figure that a good guide dog is going to cost, if you had to pay it yourself, around thirty to forty thousand dollars. Sure, sure. Um, and that's with their breeding and their training. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities people want, want to do something like that. They have 4-H projects where people take dogs and train them up in obedience for, and socialize them for guide dogs. Uh, and that might be a fun thing to do. So, uh, Dave, as I, as I wrap up um, what we've talked about today, and, and this has been both entertaining and extremely educational, um, what, uh, what I took out of this in, in big, uh, kind of in the big terms in my mind are ask, don't assume. So mm -hmm. if, if um, you mentioned, you know, the, 
a friend that was helped across the street multiple times yeah. and then went back so he could wait wait for his wife. And then uh, the example I had given when we worked together up in, in Portage. Um, and then your, ex your example, too, of, of um, you know, the, the fire drill and, and where the expectation of you'll, you'll wait in the stairwell. Once everybody's out, then we'll come back in and we'll get you. Um, that ask, not assume. And I think it's hard for people to ask sometimes to, to know, to, to feel comfortable doing that um, without a sense of encroaching on independence. But as you've indicated, and I'm encouraging people, ask. I mean, there's, what's the worst that can happen except Dave tries to sell you insurance and then starts to get into and, his criminal and, record and, and, discussion. And, uh, and uh, of course, I don't do that anymore. So, so uh, but yeah, ask, you know, you, there are people who are going to be offended by anything. Now, not all blind people are alike. So, uh, if you are the first person that asks me if I want help, I'm going to probably be pretty polite. And maybe the second and third. Now, if you're the tenth, as I'm, if you're the lady that grabs me as I'm going on to the escalator, because she thinks I'm going to fall, and because of that I almost do, I'm not going to be so kind. Uh, but uh, for goodness sakes, you know, ask. And if the person says, no, I'm fine, and something happens, then it is their fault. Take responsibility. You know, you have to take responsibility right. for yourself. So, you know, there, there is nothing wrong with asking a person if they want help. And if they don't, they're on their own. So if you happen to be in Wisconsin, and we happen to have one of these great snowfalls that we sometimes get, and we have about 18 inches of snow on the ground, and you come by and you say, would you like me to shovel, would you like some help shoveling your, your walk? I will most definitely say yes and probably pay you for the privilege. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if I'm uh, out to dinner with my wife on a nice summer evening, and you come to take my order and you ask her what I want, I probably won't be too terribly charitable. So it's, all, it's situational. Right. And understand that we all have bad days. And sometimes uh, you, might, you may just be getting the end of mind. So it's not personal. But uh, if I can be of any help, uh, please contact me or you can contact your local chapter of the National Federation of the Blind. I know there's quite a few of them in, in California and particularly in the Los Angeles area. Uh, and, uh, and don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to ask questions. And I will post uh, David's contact information um, in the uh, narrative section that goes with the video. And also there's a narrative that can be accessed with the audio um, version of this uh, of this show also. So in, in wrapping up, they have a couple things. I know you were down at, a, at an NFB convention in Atlanta. Uh, and then shortly after that, the Falcons said they were just too worn out in the second half to give the Patriots any fight in that game, the Super Bowl. Uh, so... You know, I, I guess I would wait a while before I go back to Atlanta. But you see, I, you can't blame that one on the <laughs> NFB. That was the American Library Association. Oh. So it's all those librarians. I'm sure it's their fault. Okay. So the NFB gets a break. Librarians and a uh, little, little too much, a uh, little too much partying going on apparently. But uh, but it was a good game nonetheless. It was. And then. From where Dave's office is, uh, just down the hill is the Rock River, and it's very interesting. Uh, I had an email from Dave to meet him next to the Rock River, so I'm waiting on the bank, and all of a sudden surfaces this, this submarine, and the hatch opens, and Dave climbs up, and he says, I present you with the ballistic missile submarine Red October. And he overhand throws the keys at me, and I catch them. And I said, Dave, this is billions of dollars of Soviet uh, property. They're going to want it back. And he said, it's your issue now. And he was gone. So first of all, I don't know how you got that up the Rock River, because I didn't know it was that deep. And I didn't know that your name was Jack Ryan. So, 
And and I, I upon closer look, uh, definitely Captain Ramius right here. So just a little reference to the movie The Hunt for for October. October just uh, but just to show um, a little bit of, a little bit of humor here at the at the end. But uh, it is something. In, I will I will close with um, too. Is we are, you know, we're also as I mentioned the river. I go back to. Uh, an interview I did have uh, with Jennifer Fritton, uh, who worked here and on the side worked with, uh, had, a, had a dog, Serenade, which was a search and rescue dog. And she mentioned, uh, again, um, being close to a river, that if there was a student that would, whether it be this school, any school, any school, um, or a home or whatever, that that was always a location to go first. Just a common sense thing um, to to go to an area like that, but it, I, I think it overlays, Dave, into kind of what you said. Is some, some people, you know, like it, expect well, if you're blind, there, there's a certain expectation or lack of expectations or lack of rigor, or whatever that goes on. But then, um, it, again, you know, like I, I mean, I know Dave as as doing just as he said, all of the incredible things that he does, and you wonder how he does it. And had, you were in the position of having to kind of invent the, the position was there and said, okay, invent all the activities that go with it. You see, and the difference, David, is you see, I don't see any of the things that I do as being incredible or unusual. They're normal things. Uh, now, someone who can cure cancer, somebody who can do, you know, somebody who can get a perfect score in gymnastics, somebody who can uh, take the Winter Olympics in figure skating. Now that's incredible and it's incredible because I couldn't do it. I don't know anybody who can. What I do is the normal things that everybody else does. And the only thing I do is I do them a little bit differently. The fact that I, there's a story that Samuel Johnson told, uh, and I'll paraphrase it a bit, but what he said was uh, some activity was like a bear dancing on its hind legs. It's not so marvelous that he does it well, but that he does it at all. And uh, so it's... If you, uh, I guess I would say that I think we could take any normally, you know, normal sighted person and we can put you under a sleep shade or blindfold for a couple months. And I think that we could teach you to do things just as well as any competent blind person. And I've seen it done. I did uh, participate, and this was just for. Uh, about 30 minutes in a goal ball game, which is a game uh, that is uh, played with... Uh, sort of like soccer for blind people. Yeah. And the floor is marked, and the object is to get the ball past the two wings and the goalie on the other end. It, it was amazing in a short amount of time, and one of my, my teammates um, is a colleague of ours who is blind, and, and he was able to, to give me some pointers on tuning into the sound of the ball and some of the ways to position your body. and So I, I learned quite a bit in a short amount of time. And actually, uh, when it was over, I, I missed that <laughs> it, it was, I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to, um, and I, I realized just in that short, I, I was nervous coming into that. I had no idea. I think uh, the first few times I, I actually threw the ball toward the, the wall, mm -hmm. and then I was was able to to learn. But I, I yeah, it's a practice. I, I think it is having confidence, as you said, in yourself and and um, it's it's all practice. You know, uh, when when you got a car at age sixteen, uh, nobody said, "Hey, Dave, here's a car." So you got a car. Now you know how to drive. Go for it. Uh, maybe your parents do. They, must, they might not have liked you too well. But uh, 
the point being that there had to be some learning curve there, and that's what we see with people who who lose their sight or start going blind. You have to you have to learn how things are done. Nothing is going to drop from the sky and say, "Okay, you are now a competent blind person. You're fine." It's going to take some work. It's going to take some practice, and you're going to screw up. Everybody does with everything they learn. Uh, we're no different. So you know, I don't see anything. Uh, I don't do anything incredible. I don't do anything unusual. I just have a different way of different way of doing it. Now, if uh, if somebody, if I went home tonight and my wife tells me that she won the lottery and I don't have to go to work tomorrow, that's incredible. Yeah, and since I know both you and your wife, uh, uh, I hope you'd be generous to your friends. <laughs> of so, course you would hope that. But, uh, <laughs> well, Dave... It's been a pleasure working with I, you. I'd say, I'd say you're modest, Dave. I... I, I firsthand observe you know the work that you've done with staff and with students and and I've had some longevity with that because it's not only been here it's been at, mm -hmm. at a, a different uh, facility also um, and I you know I certainly appreciate appreciate everything that you do as I know that my my coworkers and, and just you have a very um, a very well-known reputation for I, I think as as you've indicated, delivering high, I would say high quality professional development, and I think just being very approachable. Uh, and I appreciate that you've agreed to do this this video, um, video and, and radio shows. We as as this gets put into different formats. I'm going to 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 close. You mentioned um, when a driver's license and. I, I took my driver's test, so we talk about Wisconsin and the 18 inches of snow. A few episodes ago, I talked about actually clearing out my driveway with a snowblower and, and sucking up an extension cord that was connected to Christmas lights. So if I, if I ever asked, uh, you know, to help you out with your, your uh, you know, snowblowing, make sure you don't have anything of value located within probably two feet of where any paved area is, but... So on the day I went in, or I was supposed to get my, my driver's license field test, and uh, it, it was a little ways out, and not, it, it, there was a day that a big snowstorm had hit. And this was up in more northern Wisconsin. And, you know, so we're talking, what, 30 years ago. And, and uh, so I called in, and, and I said, are there any openings today? And they said, yeah, like everybody's canceled. And I don't even know why they were open. I mean, this is ridiculous. I, I mean, everything was closed. But yet, so my, the car I took in was a rear-wheel drive Pontiac Bonneville, which is basically, you don't see those around anymore. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of a race car uh, today. I mean, and this thing, this huge engine, rear-wheel drive, yeah, tank, you know, five or six thousand, just heavy, big car. And, and I remember going over with my, with my dad and just basically driving down the center of the, the, the it was a highway N at that, that point. It wasn't the main highway, but it was a paved highway. Um, just to make sure you didn't go in the ditch on either side because no one else was out. And the windshield wipers are going like crazy. And, and, uh, and we get there and pull and I, I have to do like three runs to get into the parking lot just to get over the hump of snow that's at the end of the the, the way in i park the car and it's and i go in and uh you know wait a little bit and they, they get you ready to go and i go out and the guy that is is testing me so it's going to be in the passengers i can't get in the vehicle the door is frozen shut so I have to get inside and, and kind of boot it open, and, and it, it worked, and it did shut properly. Um, and I'm looking at, you know, I get my seatbelt, and he gets his seatbelt, and he said, okay, go out, and I barely made it out. And we go up on, about three minutes in, we're on to an on-ramp, and I end up, the car slowly does a 360 uh, complete revolution on this, this on-ramp. 
And we end up still on the ramp, not in the ditch or anything. And I am just stopped. And he said, you know what? Why don't we go back? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, I, I, this is bad. This is, I, I'm done. So I, we pull in and uh, we park and he, said, and he pulls out his list and he said, have you practiced parallel parking? And I said, yep. Have you practiced parking on hills? Yep. We go through the whole list and he said, you know, you, you, you did a nice job of keeping control of, of the vehicle. Um, just, you know, practice a little bit more, but you're going to pass. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a passing score for today. And, and I think he was, he was just glad to get out, of, get out of that car and get back into his office and say, this is it. Everybody else is canceled for today. Nobody else is going out. And, and uh, yeah. I'll never forget that. It was, it was probably the shortest driver's test that they had at the DMV. And, uh, and I, I lucked out because I think anyone else would have just said, come back on a different date. But I walked out, big smile. I think I still have that license somewhere. Yeah. So Good. <laughs> uh, glad you still licensed. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, again, this has been David. Hi, Dave. I'm going to shake your Thank hand. You. I appreciate the, the interview to, today. And I will give Dave's contact information. Anything in closing, Dave? Uh, I, I want to thank you for the opportunity and uh, I hope that uh, you know, hope I get a chance to talk with you at some point again. Yeah, I'm sure that'll that'll happen. Hopefully we won't meet up together in prison because we know that that wouldn't be a good thing. Yeah, and I plan to stay away. From so that. yeah, and I already have uh, I, I already have my Soviet submarine. So, but uh, but yeah, definitely it's a pleasure to work with you and all that you do. <clears throat> And uh, this video is going to benefit a lot of people. Feel free to, to again, as Dave indicated, to contact him or, or to contact me. That information will be available. And, and as, as he leaves in his submarine, let's all join and say to him a nice, happy from those Vidanya. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. Uh, what an interesting interview with David Hyde. And I had spoken with David uh, a few months ago and, and said, you know, that I was thinking about starting a podcast and, and that at some point once I had it going, I wanted to have him on as a guest and uh, certainly the stories that he was able to share. And I think give that perspective to all of us about um, understanding uh, somewhat of a perspective of, of interactions with someone um, that is blind. And I, I, I want to share a story just of my own work when I started about two years ago at the Wisconsin Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired, uh, which is also, it, it's a complex about a quarter of a mile long, includes a school uh, with dorms and a pool and an indoor track and an auditorium and, and um, an outreach center, and it, it's very comprehensive. Um, but So then I got to work with Dave again. I had worked with Dave uh, a number of years ago. I felt very apprehensive just in my own abilities of how to work with students that were blind or had significant visual impairments. And I spoke with a friend of mine who had left a uh, regular public school system and, and had taken a position down there and, and had worked there a few years. And I said, you know, I, I'm excited. This is what I want to do. But how do you how do you come over the learning curve on something like this? I mean, how do you how do you kind of address the anxiety that goes goes with that? It was something again. I very much wanted to do. I was excited to to have the opportunity to work with a range of, of kids to to um, kind of uh, chair up a therapy department program and to to um, you know work with a team, be innovative. Uh, all, all of those things. And, but I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what the different diagnoses meant. I didn't know how, what orientation mobility, appropriate cane usage was and all of that. And he said, you know what, Dave? He said, like, a, a lot of people just don't know that at all. And you learn and you'll learn because, um, the kids will teach you. You will, <laughs> you'll learn from the kids. The staff will teach you also, but it won't take long. And, and you'll just, you're immersed in it and you'll learn it. And, and I did. It didn't take long. And I mean, it's a, it, you continually learn, but 
One of the things uh, right away is there was there was a, a high school girl who was um, kind of assigned to me to teach me Braille, and she would um, she would make sure that I, I learned Braille and that I was practicing and thinking Braille the entire time I was at school. And if she heard my voice in the hallway, she would quiz me on something Braille of okay, the letter A or the letter L, okay. And, and Braille, um, just to concisely state it, consists of a, a series of six dots to indicate a letter or there's a different arrangement if, it, if it's a contraction or whatever. But I, it, I, I needed to, to learn, you know, for example, like the letters and things. Um, so if she did hear my voice, instantly she would stop and say, Mr. P, um, okay, the letter T, uh, where, where are the dots going to be? So, you know, you'd be like... It, it's one, two, three, four, you know, five, six, and, it, and you'd indicate what it would be. Um, and I got a kick out of that. Um, and I and I practiced, and actually there was an app then for my phone, which someone had, had said, here's an app you can go in and and it, it, it teaches you and you can practice, you know, Braille and it progressively. It, it was great. And, and I learned it and I could, I could functionally write it and I, I could type it. And then I could also read it visually. Um, I couldn't read it tactically, but but I could read it visually. And at the same time, so I teach inclusion courses uh, for a university and have for a number of years, I found myself looking at the way that I was teaching my inclusion courses that I had taught for, again, a number of years and changing those courses to become much more inclusive and, and realizing, you know what, I'm teaching my courses with a very, very heavy visual component. And granted, that's how, if you're sighted, you know, most of the information that you learn comes in through visual. But to then talk about, you know, universal design for learning and being able to express understanding through whether it be something like this, like a podcast or through some type of visual or what, you know, some physical means and using all of the modalities. And a few things happened. One is I, I became, a, uh, I think, a much better teacher a much better educator very very rapidly best best i had ever been um and then the the second part of that was i became a much better university instructor um instantly instantly and it is um it, it is an incredible environment to work in and i just want to dispel kind of a, a myth as we get into the close um Somebody had asked me, they said, is it is it kind of a sad place to work because, you know, all the kids are blind in that? And I said, you know what? Like, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It is. It's not a sad place. Uh, it, that actually wasn't any uh, that thought never went through my mind because it, it is a very lively, energetic, fun, humor filled environment. And um, and part of that might have to do with with the with the dorm um, aspect of that too, where kids get to know each other well, and and there's a strong community feeling. Um, but w something that's missing too is, I I think because the social media component is pretty thin, um, if you're not cited, uh, you know, to use the, the different social media apps um, is a pretty slow process, even with the voiceovers and, th and things like that. But um, the in, one of the things that, that really doesn't exist is, and I know this might sound a little crazy to say, but things like bullying, you know, and, and kind of that social media, that effort of a lot of students feel that pressure to have a strong social media presence and, and you know, and taking a lot of, you know, pictures and visuals and things like that. And, and, that's, and that's removed uh, from that setting. And I, and I think it, it allows for a um, more of an uncluttered, again, um, uh, friendships and 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 just uh, those those things are are not um are not roadblocks to a student's education um i don't know how to describe it in a different way but but it's very interesting so as i close here you know i had a little bit of time left at the end if you ever have the opportunity to take on a challenge um of of, of something that takes you out of your comfort zone do it like i am so glad that i did um, you know, that, that I have, you know, that I took the job, 
Um, and what I've learned and, and then all of a sudden that ripple effect over everything that I'm doing. <laughs>